Hello and welcome to What the Buck. My name is Jennifer. I am a labor and delivery nurse and a certified labor doula. This podcast is created to inform and empower every woman on all of their options surrounding their pregnancy. Join me here every Monday at 9 a.m. as we dive into all things prenatal, birth, postpartum, and so much more. So let's jump into today's Welcome to another episode of What the Bump. We have Shai coming on the podcast to share her birth story. So thank you for being here and thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for having me. <laughs> so first off, tell me a little bit about yourself and your family. Um, so me and my fiance, um, we got engaged July of this past year, um, the day before my birthday, which was really exciting. Um, we have our first son together. His name is Daclan. Um, my husband or my fiance works in sales and I'm currently stay at home mom, um, but usually work in administration or marketing and communications. Um, but that's basically our little, our little family we got. We got two dogs, two girls. They're both five. Um, they're both rescues. So hey, five. <laughs> yes. And stay at home mom is for sure a full-time job still. <laughs> That's one thing yeah. I realized I was, I was like, oh, I want to be a stay-at-home mom. It sounds like so fun and relaxing. And I'm not a stay-at-home mom right now. I still, you know, take dual clients, but I'm not at the hospital. And I'm like, the days that I am home here all day, I'm like, wow, I am more exhausted by the end of the day than I would be if I was at the hospital. Um, it yeah. is truly like hats off to stay-at-home moms um, because it is definitely a lot more difficult than I think it sounds. <laughs> definitely. I mean, this is our first, he's four weeks yesterday. So everything is still pretty new, but yes. getting pretty adjusted. That's awesome. Yeah. Those and first few months are, are learning curves. You know, it's like, you're yeah. just troubleshooting and trying to figure everything out. And you're like, Oh, finally one thing worked. And then, you know, your baby throws you a curveball, and they're like, yeah, it worked once, but only once. Yeah. <laughs> Trick you. <laughs> Tons of trial and error, but it's a beautiful season for sure. Yeah, Definitely. So how was finding out you were pregnant? How did you guys find out? So we had been trying for six months or six cycles, I should say, because it was about five months, but, um, and we had three early chemical pregnancies throughout that six months as well. So that was a little, uh, degrading, um, pretty heartbreaking throughout every single one. Uh, the first one was the first month trying. So I was like, oh my goodness pink lines my first month no way this is insane and then days later I went to the doctors and they did a blood test and um my levels were just going down more and more and then the second one was in March so two months later um same exact process except I didn't go to the doctors this time I kind of just knew what I was expecting and what was going on I'd have like 48 hours of positive tests and then downhill from there. Mm. And then April, I had another one, same thing. May, we ended up, I went to my best friend's bachelorette party in Vegas. And when I came home, we were like, you know, we're just going to put this on the back burner for now. Um, stop tracking every little thing and wait till the fall because we had a pretty busy summer. And he had already been planning this proposal that I didn't know about. So I could see where his head was at. And then uh, June 1st, I, or Memorial Day, I went to my friend's house and I took a nap and I don't nap. So I was like, that's weird. 
didn't drink my coffee, which I have like seven cups a day. I didn't even drink one. And June 1st, the next day I got out of work and went and bought $60 worth of pregnancy tests. Cause I was like, something's going on and I need digitals. I don't need these pink lines. So I got home and I took it. And within seconds, it was so dark, so dark. So I took a digital and it said uh, positive. My fiance was coming home in 45 minutes. So I had, we had already been planning. So I had everything for his announcement. I had just been keeping it away just in case. So I was like, okay, well, I can tell him right now. And I, you know, I felt so confident because the lines had never been that dark. I never got an actual positive on a digital. Um, So he came home and I had it all set up on the kitchen table. And from there, it was just, we found out at three weeks, three days though. So it was very, very early and a very, very long pregnancy. Yes. (laughs) But it was definitely exciting. Um, I was scared for the entire pregnancy to say the least. Mm -hmm. Um, But this time I had told our family and my mom and his mom. So I had that support just in case something were to happen, um, which down the line, it did get a little rocky, but I was thankful that we found out so early that I had my parents involved in everything. But at the same time, I kind of wish we found out later, maybe at like six weeks. Um, Cause that first, I had to wait until eight weeks for our first appointment. And that first five weeks was awful anxiety and just questioning every little thing and he didn't have a heartbeat yet so you know you couldn't even get a Doppler if you wanted to at that point so it was a lot of stress and anxiety and um, I have anxiety anyways so pregnancy anxiety is 10 times worse (laughs) Um, but he's here and he's great. <laughs> well, you know, my heart goes out to you because that is like you were use the word defeating. And I think that that describes it really well. Just, um, you know, having those chemical pregnancies and it's just, it's a hard thing to go through. You know, you get excited every time and there's like a glimmer of hope. And, and then, you know, not long later, um, it, it doesn't turn into, you know, a full blown pregnancy that you get to carry for 40 weeks. And I experienced one miscarriage at 10 weeks and I can, mm-hmm. you know, it, I, I know how I felt after that being pregnant then with, with Adeline, um, I was felt like I was walking on eggshells every day and, um, I, I was in denial. And I also found out really early, um, at three weeks and it made it extremely hard to be like, you know, knowing it was so early. And then knowing I had lost another baby, like every day I was like, okay, are we still going to be pregnant? And I took $60 worth of pregnancy test probably too. So, um, you know, I, I can relate to you a lot in that way. Um, and truthfully, like I said, my heart goes out to you because I can't imagine having gone through that three separate times, um, how much more amplified that feeling would be than when you finally get that positive. Um, but I'm glad it was darker for you. And like you said, you felt pretty confident. So that's amazing. And finding out early is definitely like bittersweet because you found out early and now you're going to have this feeling super long pregnancy. It's really the same amount of time as any other pregnancy, but it feels very long because you know, um, and you know, yeah, people who found out at like, or people are like, Oh, I didn't know I was pregnant until, you know, my first trimester symptoms at eight weeks. And then I took a test. I'm like, wow, you're almost out of your first trimester by then. Like, yeah, for you. 
Nope. I literally had, I documented everything. So every week Mm -hmm. I was taking a picture and stuff like that. And I looked back and it was like three weeks, three days, four weeks, five weeks. And I was just like, oh my goodness. But the, really the only thing that kept me going through that was I took so many tests and just seeing them remain positive helped a lot, but I'm not kidding you. Like nine weeks came and I was like, okay, Shai, you can stop taking these tests everything's you know we've seen him he's okay he has a heartbeat you know he's doing his little gummy bear thing in there and we can relax so I relaxed for a little bit and then it kind of got rocky again and but he ended up coming early at 36 weeks so it wasn't as long as most but right (laughs) very long it's just it's I think it's you know you are already physically feeling tired and all the symptoms of pregnancy nausea possibly um you know tired fatigue all those things and then on top of it when you've experienced loss before I think it's exceptionally mentally draining you know like you said you were taking tests all the time probably overanalyzing everything and overthinking everything and I remember I woke up one morning and my boobs didn't hurt as bad and I was like oh my god this might be a terrible sign um so I think you know it's it's mentally um, exhausting, but like you said, he's obviously we know the end is he's here and and healthy and all that thing, all those things. So um, that's great. But so, how was your pregnancy? I know you touched on there was some bumpy, rocky roads. Yeah. So the beginning, um, I ended up having a few emergency ultrasounds prior to my first one, just because of bleeding or spotting um, that didn't come after intercourse or anything. Um, so I would go in, they'd do an ultrasound and every time he was perfectly fine. Um, I was put on pelvic rest at eight weeks, five days. Um, and that remained until 16 weeks. Um, and so we went in for our first ultrasound. They did the whole routine. He was great. Um, we ended up doing the NIPT blood test for the genetic screening and the early gender. Um, and that was at 12 weeks, four days, I got the blood drawn or three days. The following day I was at work and I stood up from my desk, um, and I felt what may have been discharge, but I was wearing black leggings. And when I touched my leggings, my hand was completely red. And I was like, I don't even know what to do. I don't know, like, I couldn't react. So I left work and I ended up rushing myself to the hospital where my mom met me. My fiance was working a few towns over at the time. So he met me there after, but um, I was ended up being diagnosed with what they call the threatened miscarriage um, and a subchronic hematoma. Um, So that was really, really terrifying because for the first time, so the day before I had my doctor's appointment where they put the Doppler on, found his heartbeat instantly, everything was perfect. Um, I had all the pregnancy symptoms in the world. The next day, um, like I said, I was in the hospital and it took the nurse probably the longest five minutes of our lives to find his heartbeat with the Doppler. So when she found it, everybody in the room just relieved, cried and was like, thank goodness, because it has never taken that long to find it. Um, did the ultrasound. He was perfect, like not a, in, not a care in the world, just living his life in my belly. Um, 
And then, so the next three weeks from 12 weeks to 15 weeks, I was just home bleeding and I didn't know. And I've always been told, you know, bleeding during pregnancy is not the best. It's can be normal, but as much as it was, was really scary. So every single time, especially after having chemical pregnancies, I was just like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So they would tell me to call um, and update them just to let them know if things are getting better or worse or whatever. So every time I called, um, it was typically with a concern um, of clotting or cramping or something. And they would just tell me self-monitor, self-monitor. So it got to a point where I was taking pictures of these clots and asking them if I could send them in or come in for an appointment. And they were like, this is, you know, it's just the hematoma passing everything else. So I ended up switching doctors. Um, I did not, my fiance is not a medical person. He is like white coat syndrome. He does not do doctor's offices. Um, and for him to say that he didn't feel confident in the care that we were getting from the first OB's office uh, was enough for me to just say, okay, let's find somewhere else. Good We're still you. early on. So we switched um, to a place that had a birth center, a birthplace with midwives and everything, which uh, was the best decision I could have ever made. And when I got there for my first appointment, um, I had already been, it was like the day after the bleeding had subsided. So I was already past the hematoma for say um, and going along, but I had shown them pictures. I did not receive any cervical checks. I know it could have increased the bleeding. It could have not. Um, no extra ultrasounds during those three weeks to make sure that he was okay or anything. And they were really, really concerned about that. So from there, I was monitored pretty closely just to make sure um, and then at my anatomy scan, which was at 19 weeks, um, I was diagnosed with marginal cord insertion. So that was another just uproar for me. Um, come to find out, I didn't Google, don't Google. If you have marginal cord insertion or any diagnosis really, do not go down the Google rabbit hole because it's awful. It is awful. So I told myself that was one thing you know, you can Google what it means if you don't understand from them telling you, but do not go any further than that. And I, and I kept myself to that because I, I had heard a few things. I joined groups on Facebook, um, just like support groups of moms that were going through the same thing. Um, and from there I got additional ultrasounds for him just for growth scans, just to Please. make sure. Will you explain what the marginal cord insertion is just very briefly for anybody yeah. who might not know? So from my understanding, basically the, the um, umbilical cord is supposed to be directly centered in the placenta. Um, mine was to the left, about not even two inches from the side, um, which could restrict growth, oxygen or anything like that. Um, and then upon delivery, they, it's really important, especially if you're vagina vaginally, vaginally <laughs> delivering um, for them to be removing the placenta um, it's a very specific way that they have to do it. I had a C-section, so it was a little easier in my head to go about it that way. Um, but he didn't have any growth restrictions. He was ahead of the gang the whole time. I did carry small. Um, 
So everywhere I went, people would tell me like, are you sure he's okay? Or you're carrying very small. I don't know why people think that that is okay to comment on. I will never understand. No. And then one day uh, after being told I was small my entire pregnancy, somebody told me, are you sure you're not having twins? Not, none of it's okay. Like start to finish. Don't come on somebody's size. Say, wow, you look amazing. And that was just like, that's funny. Cause everywhere I was today, they told me, cause it was like on Thanksgiving, I think. So we were around all of our family and all day people were like, you don't even look pregnant. Oh my goodness. Da, 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 da. And then all of a sudden, are you carrying twins? Oh my gosh. And I just laughed. Cause I was like, that's to me, that was funny. Cause I was like, I get told I'm small and now you're telling me I look big. So I'm popping hopefully now, you know, maybe I look like a little pregnant. Um, so I had additional scans at 28, 32 and 34 weeks. Um, I also paid for separate 3d ultrasounds, like at a separate place, um, throughout my pregnancy, just cause I love to see him and our parents were allowed to go. The doctor's offices required or limited it just to my fiance. Um, so he was fine the entire time. And then, um, he was also breached. He did not he was not head down one time. He was transverse um, in the early 20 weeks, but he was breached the entire time. So come 32 week ultrasound, um, he was still breached. Head was very, very high into my ribs. You couldn't, they struggled getting head measurements on him or even the um, profile pictures from 30 on, 30 weeks on, I didn't see his face, mm. which Some people don't even get ultrasounds during that time, but I was getting them so often to not see his face was just like, all right, I'm glad you're good in there. (laughs) Like I see your toes, you're good. Um, And so I discussed with them what would happen with the breached or whatever. And I know some providers out there do deliver um, vaginally with a breached baby. Um, I don't know anybody personally that has done that, but we had a C-section scheduled. So 36 weeks came up. And um, so the Monday before I actually gave birth, so that was like 36-2, I locked myself out of my apartment and climbed through the window to get back in. (laughs) I had both of my dogs outside with me. It was great. I think the hip adjustment from climbing through the window put me into labor, honestly. (laughs) I think... I don't know for sure, but Thursday morning, um, I ended up having my bloody show and then two hours later started contracting and just cramping and everything. So when I called the doctors, they told me to self-monitor, make sure that, you know, if anything changes, um, or if something becomes timeable, give us a call. Um, cause we had to call no matter what to go into the birthplace. It was a whole separate from the hospital, um, and you need kind of, it was almost like an appointment, but you needed to just call ahead of time. So um, I did that all day. Nothing really progressed, but nothing changed. And then Friday morning, um, I called back and all night, I kind of was waking up to them, like the cramping. So I was like, okay, it's not progressing, but it's not making me comfortable. So I talked to one nurse that was on call and she was like, again, you know, just make sure nothing becomes timeable. If they do, do you have us a call? So I said, okay. 
hung up with her and not even five minutes later I was getting a call from another nurse and she was like um so it sounds like early labor to me and since he's breached we don't want you progressing at home um it just is more dangerous for him to eventually come out and you need to push him out rather than coming here and we can kind of monitor you see if anything does progress and then see what happens from there so I was like okay so I got myself ready um I packed the car just we had all of our bags packed already I was ready at 32 weeks with everything um and we installed the car seat because that was the final thing that we had to do and I went in for monitoring and I got there at 11 a.m and they checked me I was two centimeters dilated which you can stay there for five weeks like so I was like oh wow I'm dial that's crazy I would have never even because I would have declined cervical checks anyways um until completely necessary so I wasn't even thinking of dilation or anything I was like he's breached you're having a c-section you know it's already scheduled you're not going to go actually into labor you you're just going to walk in after some McDonald's and get him taken out (laughs) so she was like, so just hang tight. You know, we can see your contractions on the monitor. Um, you are having them, whether they're painful or not. Awesome. Awesome. Perfect. Um, and then an hour later, they came back in and checked me again. And I was 100% effaced and three centimeters dilated. So they were like, well, he's progressing. Something's going on. And we're going to keep you overnight to give you the steroid shot for his lungs. I'm not sure exactly what that one's called. but methadone. Yes. So, um, two and 22 and 24 hours. So they were like, we're going to keep you monitor you overnight, uh, give you the shots and then go, you know, see what happens from there. So I was like, okay. It was about one o'clock and she came in with the consent forms for the C-section. And I was like, oh, he's coming today. And she's like, yes, you're progressing. Like we can see it on the monitor. Your contractions are getting closer together, all this stuff. So I was like, awesome, perfect. Don't even have time to think about it. I wasn't in any pain, no pain at all. I had like mild period cramps, but I have pretty severe period cramps anyways. So this was like just moderate for me, like almost like a gas right. pain. Was, was a breach vaginal delivery on the table something they were willing to even talk about or they practiced there or no? It, it differs the, across the country. Yeah, they didn't practice it there. Okay. It was a C-section no matter what. Gotcha. They did offer the EVC, um, but I declined it. Just personally, I was like, if, if he flips with it, he could flip back for one. Two, if, he, if they do it, um, I don't know if the marginal cord insertion comes into play and can make the placenta abruption any higher risk or anything. And then I would have an emergency C-section there. Like to me, it was just, since it wasn't hundred percent certain that, Hey, we're going to flip him and you're going to deliver vaginally. So I was just like, I'd rather have a day. I already had anxiety about how this was going to go. So I was like, I'd rather have a set day in my mind, even if he does come earlier, at least like it handles my anxiety a little better. And I don't have to worry about something going emergency wrong. Right. So I declined it. I did try like spinning babies. I did things to at home to try to get him. Right. I had this intuition that he was not flipping. He was so far into my rib and I couldn't even sit down. Like I had to lean backwards to breathe. He was so far into my ribs. 
and my lungs. It was like having a softball in between your lungs. It was right. the craziest thing. So, um, it was like one o'clock. They came in with the consent forms. I signed them. And throughout this whole period of time, I'm updating my fiance on what's going on. Cause he's like, Oh, you're two centimeters dilated. I'm just going to come hang out with you anyway. So I was like, perfect. So he goes home, he gets the dog watcher over, everything like that. He's packing up his stuff, getting our snacks ready. And every hour I'm calling him with like a, the next step of an update. So it went from, hey, I'm two centimeters dilated to, hey, they're going to keep me overnight. Oh, hey, listen to this consent form with me over the phone. So you know what <laughs> what's going on. And then the last call was, hey, he's coming today. When are you going to be here? Mm-hmm. And he was just like, I'm on my way. Like I hear him at the Mary Lou's drive through. They're like, (laughs) and he's like, I'm on my way. So uh, they kept coming in and being like, do you know when Ted will be here? Do you know when Ted will be here? And I was just like, no, but I'm waiting on the anesthesiologist to come in and talk about a time. And they're like, oh no, we're all ready. We're just waiting on him. So I was like, oh my goodness. So Ted walked in at 1.40. And Daklin was delivered at 2.06. Oh, wow. They were really ready. <laughs> they were, he, Ted walked in and they handed him his scrubs and I walked out of the room. I didn't even, it wasn't even like, hey, how was work? How are you? Aww. Give me a kiss. Welcome. We're about to have a baby. It was, I don't like right. that. I wish they would have given you guys a second to Let's process. walk down. Yeah. So we walked down. Um, they had him wait outside. Um, I went in, they, I got my spinal laid down. And just, I found out yesterday, actually, that when they brought Ted in, they had already started cutting. And I was, they didn't even say like, all right, we're starting, which I have heard a few of my friends have said that they don't specify when they're starting, or maybe they say like a keyword. Provider specific, I would say. Yeah. So I was just like, which I didn't have an issue with, because I wasn't like, I want to know everything. Right. But I didn't know. So he, and he doesn't do blood. So it was, it was a big, okay, well, good thing we're having a C-section because if we did de- deliver vaginally, yeah, I don't think we would have done well, which it doesn't matter. But like I, in my head, I was worried about him passing out rather than sitting next to my head with drapes everywhere. So he told me yesterday that when he walked in, they were already started cutting and he just looked away. He was like, thankfully there was a person right there and I could just go around and I was like, oh my goodness, I didn't even know that because we sat down and you could almost smell like the burning. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, oh my goodness, it's happening. And he didn't say, oh, it's been happening. He just mm-hmm. went along with it. So I had them drop the drape when they took him out. I saw him. My fiance looked away. <laughs> <laughs> um, they took him to the, the warmer cleared him out real quick and then put him right on my chest oh, and he amazing. remained there until we left the hospital a few days later mm, so beautiful. yeah and what, so I, what was that moment like when they held him up over the drape for you so they held him up and he wasn't crying which I didn't process right away he just like a smush face and all I said was his cheeks he has cheeks because he just has <laughs> the funkiest cheeks and all of his ultrasounds he had chunky cheeks. So I was just like, yes, he has chunky cheeks. So they took him to the warmer and I heard him cry. And that's when I started crying. And I was just like, I cannot believe this. But my entire pregnancy, I had the 
I would say a very severe case of emotional disconnection. Mm-hmm. Um, every appointment that I went to, I checked his heartbeat before I left the house. And it was just like, I need to make sure that I know what's going on before I get there. Mm-hmm. So if something did happen to him, I'm prepared and I'm not going to sit in that doctor's office myself um, and be like, oh, well, unfortunately, bad news. So I was always checking his heartbeat no matter what, just for a sense of security. And I know a lot of people say, don't do a Doppler. It can increase the anxiety. You can be looking for something that you don't know or hear something that you're not, you know, you don't know is urgent or something. Honestly, in my case, it was, I just needed to hear it. And that was enough for me. If I felt like I something the same was wrong, I was just going to call the doctor. But two seconds of listening to his heartbeat and I found it instantly. So I wasn't sitting there for like hours with this Doppler on him, but it was definitely a sense of security for me. Um, And even when people would say it's a boy, right? Like just to confirm at the doctors, I'd say, as far as I know, because, you know, it's just the ultrasounds. I did have the blood test, but I was like, I'm not going to confirm it and feel that connection until he's here. So I journaled my entire pregnancy. I had three journals going on of like scrapbooks and week by week updates and all this stuff. And um, we just, yeah, I didn't feel a connection, like a deep physical, I'm in love with this baby. I cannot wait to have this life with you until probably 10 days after he was born. That's such Um, a real, that's such a real thing. It's kind of a protection mechanism, honestly. Like you said, you know, it's the loss that you'd experienced before, like why, you know, I think, I think it really is a protection thing of like, well, I'm not going to get too attached to this baby because anything could happen. It's so out of my control and that's hard to process. And, um, that's kind of how we protect ourselves against it, honestly. Yeah. So like I said, until he was about 10 days old, like I loved him. I was I was like, this is great. You know, he's so cute. I'm so excited to show him off to the world and just knock on everybody's door in the world and just say, look what I made. Mm -hmm. But until like he was 10 days old, I felt really good C-section wise by 10 days. And I was just like, this is the best thing that's ever happened. Like (laughs) I would never change this for the world. You're great. Let me smell you some more. Like (laughs) I can kiss you. You're my baby. Like I'm somebody who will never kiss somebody else's baby, whether it's my niece, nephew, or whatever. But as I kissed him for the first time and I was like, oh my God, I can do this a million times. Yeah. You're so soft, you smell so good. Um, so we had a bumpy ride. It could have been, you know, it could have been a lot worse, but just after having the chemicals and that disconnection. And then I felt like every doctor's appointment we went to, Besides the later ultrasounds for the growth scans, we were just getting a new diagnosis thrown at us. Right. So it was, it was just frustrating. And again, each diagnosis, I was like, okay, well, he's okay. But I, you know, I'm not, I didn't talk to him. I didn't sing to him. I, you know, I didn't, I rubbed him that I rubbed my belly constantly. And that's okay. You know, I think 
I, I love that you're, you know, willing to say that out loud and admit that, you know, I didn't have an emotional connection with my baby until 10 days because that happens. A lot of people feel that it takes them some time to, you know, like you said, you, you loved him from the start, you loved him, but it took you 10 days to truly get to know him and fall in love with him. And a lot of people feel that and feel like guilt and shame around it, but it is a real thing. We're not, we're not always head over heels in love with our babies. The minute they came out, it can kind of be like a, hold on. Like, I don't even know who you are yet. Like I protected myself from truly falling in love with you during my pregnancy because I was so afraid to lose you. Um, and it can, it can totally take some time. Yeah. And I also had, I don't know, a lot of people that I talked to or just your typical, I guess, stereotype pregnancy of the emotions and hormones. I didn't cry my entire pregnancy. I was angry. Like I did not want my dogs to even breathe around me. I was like, you are the most annoying things in the world. Um, At one point I had one mental breakdown one night because I was so annoyed with myself of how angry I was with just the world. And there was no reason I wasn't I wasn't mean to people I was just angry like everything I was so short fused and I had road rage like I just was angry so by like 28 weeks that finally went away but after birth to feel emotion again almost like to feel something other than anger or scared or anything like that was unreal honestly like I've had seasonal depression. I've suffered depression. I've suffered anxiety, like, but to feel emotions after such a long period of time, I was like, this is crazy. Like I'm happy. Like I love growing him. I loved every single kick with him. You know, I didn't not like, I thought I carried very well. Um, I didn't have any body image issues or I loved pregnancy. I hated who I mentally was during it. Right. And I think that's also important too, because a lot of people are like, you, you know, you wanted to have a baby, da, da, da. And it's like, yeah, but that doesn't mean I love every single moment of it. You know, it's hard. And one time my fiance did say, well, you wanted this. And I was like, that wasn't the right thing to say. No. First of all, you're not going to sleep well tonight. Um, <laughs> but it, it, it was true. Like we tried for, six months. Um, I have friends that have tried longer or that have needed IVF or anything like that, which I completely understand. But personally in my cycles, like with back-to-back miscarriages and then conceiving and walking on eggshells the entire time. And, um, the first trimester I did have severe nausea, but I didn't have sickness. I wasn't throwing up ever. Um, during my engagement, I was downing saltines because of how sick I was. Um, I choked on one when I said yes. So I was literally in the middle of eating my saltines to try to get my nausea to go away. That's amazing. Um, but I had a pretty, like, besides the diagnoses and the bleedings, like I had a pretty textbook pregnancy as far as symptom wise and um, how he grew. Everything was perfectly fine. Um But I think the best decision that we made was switching doctors um, and having somebody actually listen to you and care for your concerns. Um, It was still a multi-provider practice. You know, we saw midwives, we saw doctors, we saw NPs at both locations. Um, But 
the care that we received and the following, like the the way that they followed us um, and called afterwards to make sure, you know, they checked in on you and everything um, was great. We went in for fetal um, decrease of fetal movement twice and which there was. Um, and it was just because he was in a funky position and like turned away. So I couldn't feel him, but he was moving on the monitors. So I was like, okay, great. But um, a lot of people, it happened on weekends mostly that we had scares. So a lot of people are nervous to call on weekends because they're like, well, the office is closed. And I'm like, call them. That's what yeah. they're there for. Like <laughs> their doctors working, you know, the hospitals are open. Um, don't wait until Monday because he always had something going on on a Friday. He always I, wanted to act up Fridays. I love <laughs> that you were bold enough to be able like to say, you know, this is, this is not working for me right now. This practice I'm in is not what I need. They're not making me feel comfortable and safe and cared for. And so you went and you found somebody else who did because you are that, that doctor is employed by you. So you can fire them just as quickly as you hired them. And um, I think that that's very important to remember that, you know, it's not just their way or the highway. It's the, the medical system in America is kind of like, you know, your doctor says something and you listen to it and you do it but that's, that's not true. Like I said, they're employed by you. You don't have to listen to everything that they say and and tell you to do, and you don't have to tolerate them if they're not somebody who is making you feel safe and comfortable. Um, and especially, I cannot stress this enough, especially around pregnancy. It's such an important, I mean, you're, it's, you're dealing with somebody's life inside of your, of your body. Um, and you know, if, if, if there's any time to fire a provider that you're not meshing well with, who's not meeting your needs, pregnancy is the time to do it. So for anybody out there, if you're not head over heels with your provider and they're not, you know, giving you the time of day that you need, answering your questions in ways that you want, if there's some red flags that are coming up, please know that they are employed by you. They're hired by you and you definitely can fire them because there's an abundance of OBs, no matter where you live, there's somebody else who will be better to you. Yep. Yep. Even with the ECV, um, I almost felt guilty telling them no. Right. And I was like, I, they're just, they're just offering it, you know, but in my head, it was what they wanted to do. And, um, and I, I kind of wanted a C-section anyways, um, just like personal experiences and stuff. And mentally it was just the way that I wanted to go. He made the choice for me by being breached. So I didn't have to do that. But even when I talked to them about an elective C-section, they had said, I think I was with an NP at the time and she had said, well, the doctors are going to try to almost persuade you into a vaginal. And I'm like, I understand, um, you know, C-sections are major surgery and depending on how many kids you want down the line, like everything goes into play with it. Next one, if we do ever have another one, like the VBAC option, he was breached. So it wasn't so much of a medical condition, you know, so I'm not sure how that will play out, but Honestly, I don't know if we will have a second one. We're pretty happy and content, but I, everybody keeps saying, wait till you're three years out and you're going to miss it all. And I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> cross um, that bridge when you get there. Yeah, let's, let's get there. He's four weeks old. We'll talk about that later. Um, but yeah, everything, you know, I, it was crazy because it was something that I've always wanted and we tried really hard to get. And I went through a lot of just ups and downs throughout Mm -hmm. the entire time. And I tracked 
everything. I was one of those people that had every single app downloaded. I updated every single app every single day with the same exact information. Um, I did the ovulation tests all month long, basically. Like I knew my body more than I ever did though. It was really interesting to learn the process and learn the science behind it and the biology behind trying to conceive in pregnancy alone. Um, because a lot of my friends that went through it with me or around the same time were just like, we're, we want to have a baby. Let's get pregnant. Okay. We're pregnant. Let's, let's have a baby. And mine was just ups and downs. And I, but I learned my body more than everything. I was very in tune with my body, which was really cool. Um, as a 25 year old person, like, uh, they should teach you a lot more in health class. I'll tell you that. Yes. I am not. <laughs> agree more with that statement. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Like looking back at fifth grade when we did the sex ed talk, like, no, they didn't teach you anything. Nothing. No, they don't. No, most, most women our age still don't even know, you know, necessarily how long before ovulation they can get pregnant and, and after ovulation. And even, even when ovulation occurs in a cycle, most people are just, this is how it goes. You know, I I don't want to get pregnant. I'm just going to take birth control and I won't get pregnant. Then you don't need to learn anything about your body. You don't need to know when you ovulate. You don't need to know when your cycle would start or end or how many days before ovulation you need to be careful. They just prescribe a pill that solves all the issues, or at least you think it solves all the issues, but it actually is creating them also in the background, but that's a whole nother conversation. Um, But you're right. We don't know our bodies like, um, like we should um, in any ways, because we're given this, this pill that throws them off completely. And um, we don't have to, it's, it's an easy way out, which is what we like here in the, in in the U S unfortunately, we just like, you know, a one-step solution. Um, So it is amazing when you track all that stuff, just learning your body and, the little tiny things that you can pick pick up on and be like, Oh, I bet I'm going to ovulate tomorrow because something so small as a symptom, um, or an ache or a pain or cramp or change in your discharge, um, anything like that. It's, it's truly, it's a beautiful thing, honestly. Yeah. And I was on birth control, like the pill from, I think I started out when I was 13 years old, Mm -hmm. just because of how severe my periods were. And that's how they decided to regulate or anything like that. I didn't get off of it until, so I, I, um, I went to boot camp in 2014 and I was off of it while I was there. Um, and then when I got back, I started it again and was on it, um, until 2018. And then I stopped it for about two years. I had a weight loss surgery and I just stopped all of everything in general, um, birth control was like the only medication that I actually was on besides vitamins and stuff. And then the year, so we started trying last year, no, 2020. Yeah. 2020. Um, and I had gotten the IUD February, 2020, and it was supposed to help with just like endometriosis type symptoms and stuff like that. Cause I wasn't diagnosed, but I was being treated as if I was, or as if I did have it. Um, and that was supposed to help and it did not help or change anything. So I was only on it for nine months. And when I had it removed, there's something called, I guess the Mirena crash, which is where your body just surges through hormones because I had it taken out too soon and it was like at the peak almost of the hormones and your body doesn't know how to make them on its own at that point. So my body literally was exhausted. It was worse than pregnancy exhaustion. It was the worst exhaustion ever. I literally could not keep, I couldn't drive. 
because wow. I was scared that I was going to fall asleep at the wheel. Um, and then only lasted a few days, but it was definitely annoying. And then that's when we started trying. So honestly, in my head, being on birth control for half of my life, right. I'm not a fan of it. <laughs> I will not be back on it. Um, I know that's something that they typically talk at the six week appointment postpartum, but I do not plan on going back on it. Um, you know, there's other ways to be safe <laughs> if, yes. if need be. And um, I have a whole podcast on natural family planning. I truly wish I knew the episode number off my head, but I don't, but it's a while back. So anybody who's listening can scroll back and you can learn about natural family planning, which is just basically how to not get pregnant or even get pregnant if you want to use it in that way, but mainly how to not get pregnant, but not be on birth control, which is sure, which I'm sure um, shy is what you're planning on doing. Yeah, definitely. Just menstrual cycle tracking. It's, it's, it's a really yeah, cool thing that. to get into I, with your body. I'm pretty good at that. <laughs> yes. It sounds like you're going to be very good at it. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for just sharing your story. Um, what would be kind of like your top piece of advice for moms who are listening to this podcast? If you had to pick one. Uh, something that I wish that like, I read a lot of books. I listened to a lot of podcasts. I listened to every single episode of yours. <laughs> I even have friends that are on yours. Um, and I've listened to even more different ones, read millions of books, read articles. They do not talk about the first 24 hours at home by yourself. I don't know if everybody is the same as what I experienced. And it wasn't that my child was hard or something was wrong with him. Um, but when I got home from the hospital, the first night home was just a lot between your hormones going everywhere. Um, we started out syringe feeding him cause he wouldn't latch. He had a severe tongue tie and lip tie and cheek ties. Oh, wow. Um, so latching just really wasn't a good option for him. So I was pumping in the hospital and feeding him via syringe. Um, and that lasted until we got home and, um, I tried to latch again. He wasn't having it. I was very engorged and I ended up giving him one of the ready to feed bottles of formula that the hospital provided us because I just needed to pump. I needed to step away from him. Um, so my fiance did that. And then the first full night, he did not want to settle anywhere. He was settling in the bassinet at the hospital, perfectly fine. Like he was clockwork, easy, easy, nice. Every two hours I'd get up, grab him, feed him, put him back down. He'd do the same thing. The first night home, he did not want to do anything except sleep on us. So we couldn't sleep. Um, very big into sleep safety. And I just was very stressed out. And then we had to be up and at his doctor's appointment at 9 a.m. the next day. Mm -hmm. So there was no sleep at his first appointment. They told us that we needed to go back and get his John, just his Billy Rubin checked and that he had all those little tongue ties and everything and that they need to be cut. So then I was stressed out even more. We just wanted to go home and sleep. But after the 48 hour period, he's been clockwork. He's been a textbook baby, knock on wood. People are like, don't jinx it. I'm like, he's four weeks out. I know we're going to hit these leaps, but he's pretty Enjoy good. It. That's amazing. Yeah. He's pretty good. So I would just say that first night home, don't give up because I threw the towel in. If I could have given him away the first day, and this is awful, I would have, I asked the nurses to keep him for the day. <laughs> I said, please take him for the day. You're my, they're my best friends. But I was like, I can't bring him home right now. I cannot do this. 
It's hard. It's hard. People can feel like the world's just crashing down, you know, but like you said, you get through it. You will. The next 48 hours, everything has been great. Like I said, by day 10, I physically was like, I'm never putting you down. You can sleep on me all you want. Wednesdays, I do food shopping because that's like my outing. Yeah. And I text my fiance 27 times. How is he? What is he doing? Can you send me pictures of him? I miss him. Can I FaceTime you while I'm That's shopping? Crazy. Like, he's like, can you just get home? I'm like, okay. <laughs> um, so besides that, trust your instincts. Um, if you don't think something's right, definitely speak up for yourself because you are the advocate for your child. Um, no one else is going to do that for you. Yep. And if you do have a pandemic baby, and you like I'm somebody who is awkward when asking people to wear a mask or wash their hands before holding my baby my fiance steps up and does that for me but really definitely if that's something that you want and you want to put your foot down and say wear a mask or whatever like vaccinated or not I'm not getting into that topic but just speak up and advocate for yourself because I literally people will walk into my house and be like can I hold him I'm like yeah sure here but I know you didn't wash your hands. And then I start getting guilty. And then yes. my fiance's like, nope, can you wash your hands first? Like, here's the masks. We have them right here. Do you want to sit down? And I'm like, thank you. So um, really having that support person. Um, and I know taking help when it's offered. I'm really not good at that yet. But I'm also just not ready to leave his side yet. Yeah. So uh, I think once that does happen, and I do want to step away for an hour or two, I will take that help. But as of right now, I'm not ready to have somebody come over why I go nap or why I go do this. And, you know, me and my fiance just take turns. And that's okay. So do it when you're ready. And, you know, it's your baby. It's your pregnancy. And just stand up for yourself because it is a lot. Yeah. I had so much anxiety around people coming over and holding Adeline. And then finally, you know, maybe five days in, I was like, okay. I have a lot of anxiety around this. I don't like how I feel when people are over here and holding her. Um, And so finally, I was like, you know what? From now on, anybody who comes over, um, they are going to wear a mask and wash their hands. And when we instilled that rule, I felt a huge weight off my shoulders. Something so simple that people are so understanding of that. Nobody is ever going to bat an eye when you say, hey, can you wash your hands and put on a mask before you hold my baby? Or even if you said, you know, I don't even want you to hold her because of everything going around right now, not even COVID, but the hundreds of other things, um, germs and everything with babies. People are so respectful and so understanding, but I relate to you in that it's very hard to have that backbone and be like, "Mm, you know, wash your hands, put on a mask or just don't hold her. It can be hard. So I like that you say, you know, advocate for yourself during pregnancy to protect your baby and also postpartum to protect your baby. It's very, very important. Definitely. Well, thank you for just sharing your story and and thanks you for coming on the podcast. No, thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. <laughs> thank you for listening to another episode of What the Bump. Make sure to follow us over on Instagram at WhatTheBumpCLT. Check out our website, WhatTheBumpCLT.com. Make sure to leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you are listening on. And tune in every Monday at 9 a.m. for a new episode. Remember that this podcast is for educational purposes only. I will see you next week in the next episode.